There they go. I always love that. I get up a chance to, to preach and half the church gets up and runs out the door. I mean, it works that way every time, I think. But I love that. That's a, a beautiful thing. Good morning. I'm, I'm uh, pleased to, to be here this morning to preach today. Kyle and Jamie, of course, are in Michigan and uh, visiting their family and... Uh, um, but uh, those of you who are, are here today, we welcome you. We're, we're glad that you're here and uh, that you can celebrate uh, the Lord's Day with us here at North Hills. It's been a busy week, I'm sure, for many of you. Uh, you'll find that your week's been very busy as well, being the holiday. My dad always used to say, oh, I look forward to the 26th. And I could never figure out what he was talking about until... You know, we've all grown up, we've got our own families now. Now the 26th is when the, the real vacation starts. Everybody could relax and things calm, calms down a little bit. But in the midst of all the Christmas things, I had, a, a, uh, had the opportunity this week to, uh, to uh, preach a, a funeral, to, to serve a, uh, uh, a lady from my school. By trade, I'm a, a school teacher. I'm not a a full-time pastor or anything, but I, I'm, I teach at school. And one of my friends, uh, her father was put on um, hospice, and it's been a painful experience for the family, and they had no real spiritual care, so I stepped up and offered to, to help them and to, uh, you know, do what I could to offer any, you know, help that I could. And uh, as we prepared for the funeral and as I talked to my, my, my friend, we had uh, lots of stories about her father. And these stories were fantastic. I mean, th- this guy was a very talented man, a very loving dad, a very loving husband. Uh, this is a man who uh, he worked his way up from a janitor all the way to a department head, uh, worked in a, in, a, in a company that's, that, uh, well, Navistar, uh, worked in Indiana for a while, then came to Ohio and, and, and ended up at International and then Navistar. And uh, just all kinds of amazing things that we were able to share and to talk about. Unfortunately, in, uh, for me as a Christian, this is a man who had not received Christ as his Savior. In fact, towards the end of his life, he had rejected the church. He wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, he refused communion, refused different things, and just did not want, you know, anything to do with that. But, you know, by all appearances, the, the funeral went off without a hitch. Everything worked out great. And I think it was a nice funeral. There were lots of tears. Uh, but a lot of love among the family, you could tell. Problem was... You know, as I look at them objectively, you know, as a, as a Christian, there was a God-sized hole in their family. I mean, God just didn't have a, a spot there for them. Now, my friend, is a, she's a Christian, and uh, like many of you, uh, we all have family members who are not Christians who have, you know, for whatever reason, have decided not to uh, participate in uh, a relationship with Christ. And uh, like many families, it sort of fell upon the mother of the family to provide the spiritual direction and any form of church life. 
uh, many of you moms out there, uh, you know, you're the real Wonder Woman, the, the real you know, superwoman out there who uh, kind of keeps the family oriented towards a, a spiritual life. Many men have stepped aside and have allowed their wives to sort of be in authority when it comes to the, the spiritual training of the, of the family. But it was, you know, it was kind of sad because my, my friend mentioned how, you know, Christmas is it's just never going to be the same again. And many of you have lost loved ones around the holidays. You understand what it's like. But unspoken in the in the like the elephant in the room was this question of, you know, you know, will I see dad again? Will I will we be together as a family ever again? Now, my experience, I teach in a public school, so I see all kinds of dysfunctional families. I see a lot of great families, too, but there are many kids without parents. Uh, many have parents who were never married. Many of them have abusive parents. Many of them have disinterested parents, where the parents are basically, I, you do what you want, I just don't bother me. Parents who are drug abusers, parents who actively abuse drugs with their children, uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, it's just unbelievable some of the, the dysfunction that's out there with the families. We have a social worker or family counselor on staff who works with, with our guidance department to try to help some of these kids. We have a high school of about 500 kids. Graham has shrunk in the last 10 years. We have about 500 kids. And she's working with about 60 active referrals, 60 out of 500. These are kids who are, as the kids would say, these, are, these kids are messed up. They got a lot of stuff going on. They got a lot more to worry about than getting algebra and uh, learning their German and uh, working on social studies. And a lot of these kids have to find a place to stay, have food to eat. Those types of things. So as you can see, with so much dysfunction, it's bound to affect our culture, our, our society. You know, there are many reasons for family dysfunction, of course. I'm not up here to give a sermon on you know, all of the things that destroy the family, but there's no doubt that for many people, there is, uh, their problems are caused or, or exacerbated by a lack of Jesus in their life. They, they don't have um, the Lord, our Savior, as part of their, of, of their family. You know, we sit back as a society, we wring our hands over, oh, what are we going to do? How do we make society better? How are we going to make our schools better? And you know, we, I think sometimes we miss the obvious culprit, which is the utter destruction of the family. As our families continue to come apart, society pays a price for that. You know, why bring this up today? It's a new year, it's a happy time, and I'm not going to bog you down with a bunch of painful statistics and things, trust me, but, uh, you know, as we move on to a new year, this is always the time of year where people tend to reflect on their lives a little bit. It's a new year, 
Uh, how many of you do the, the New Year's resolution thing? How long does it last? You know, a few days? Uh, well, you know, try again next year, I guess, maybe. Uh, I don't know. But it is natural to, as, as we go into a new year to, to kind of take a moment and evaluate who we are and what we're doing. And, and uh, what I would, my challenge to you today is, is we're going to kind of look at the family, our families. You know, pastors like to challenge people to reflect on their lives to make positive adjustments and, uh, of that nature. You know, North Hills is a church. We as a church are here uh, not only to uh, bring the, the gospel message, to, to introduce people into a relationship with Christ, to spread the news of, of the coming kingdom. We also are here to support one another, to support our families. You know, I understand, Kyle understands that the health of our church often reflects the health of our families, and ultimately the, the strength of our marriages within our families. We were really blessed last year with financial giving to the point where we were uh, able to pay off the mortgage just out of, boom, and we, we got that taken care of. What a blessing. Many people would look at that and look at our bottom line and say, wow, North Hills is in a great place. That church is really good right now. It's a strong church. I don't know. Do we really want to look at the finances as, as the overall indicator of the strength of a church? I don't know. I'm, I feel very blessed and very fortunate that, that we were able to make some serious headway financially. But the strength of our church, the strength for us here to this morning, is really it's found in the strength of our families, not how much money's in the bank or any of those other things. There was a time here at North Hills that I can remember. We didn't have hardly any children. I mean, none. We had many families that were struggling, we had many families facing divorce. We dealt with alcoholism, tearing a few families up. We've seen our people uh, shaken by sexual sin, adultery. In essence, our church is no different than any other church. Churches are filled with real people, with real problems and real issues. But it seemed that, at least for us at, for a time, Family dysfunction was rampant, and it really took away from any spiritual momentum that our church was able to, to generate. We were just too bogged down as families with real life to worry about impacting the community for God. And that's it's, it's, it's just a, a fact. However, I sense a real positive vibe running through our church these days. I don't know if you've noticed, we got a lot of little kids running around here. I absolutely love that. The Powell family, God bless you. I love to sing our songs because your children are always dancing and clapping and praising the Lord, and it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. I enjoy that. We have lots of happy, well-adjusted kids 
And the, the, the great thing is the parents are here with the kids. <laughs> we don't roll in, drop them off, and leave. We have moms and dads with their children here in church. I don't know. I'm a mess this morning. There, how's that? Oh, well. Anyways, we got a lot of good things going on here that I'm just just thrilled with. The Gallagher family, they're not here today. The, uh, you know, Their children are grown and now about to get married. Uh, my son... Uh, Rachel, they're about to get married, and we're seeing families just starting to grow. And that's why I feel that our church is in a very good place, because we're seeing families growing. We're seeing strength within our families, and that's a beautiful thing. You know, our church has been blessed in many ways this year, but the real health of a church is measured by the health of the families within that church. And in many ways, I think our church is healthier than it's been in a long, long time. Now, I'm not naive to think that all of us have perfect lives and that our families are wonderful, perfect things. We all struggle. We all have things going on in our 
families that we have to deal with. But I see so many people working together in the name of Jesus to, to make this place a beautiful place, a place where you want to bring a family. You know, when God created humans, he designed us to live in families. The Bible reveals that family relationships are very important to God. In fact, the church, the, the universal bodies, we're often called the family of God. The family is sort of a model of what the church was going to be. God created the first family by instituting the inaugural wedding between Adam and Eve. We go back to Genesis chapter 2, which I will turn to very quickly. Genesis chapter 2, if you're not familiar with the Bible, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Chapter 2 talks about the creation of man and woman. We're not going to get into all the... You know, is it symbolism? Is it real? Was it, I don't know. I'm worried about that. But there was an Adam and there was an Eve, and they were a family. And this was a family created by God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For the re, uh, let's go back to uh, verse, eh, verse 21. You know the story. Adam was alone. God said, that's not good. Adam needs a helper. He needs somebody. So verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he, God, took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. That's kind of dramatic. I don't know what the deal was with that. A very, uh, God is big into symbolism, I think. Anyways, the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Adam, here's a woman. I'd love to see the look on Adam's face. I wonder what he was like, wow, whoa, you know, I don't know. What is that? You know, who knows? But, but the man said, wow, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, very, very important. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. How cool is that? You know, just to be naked all the time and not not worry about anything. That can't happen these days. No, 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 no. You know, it's interesting because in that original setup of Adam and Eve and God, just those three, just those three, and it was beautiful. It was perfect. Adam, Eve, and God. A man and a woman and their God. And a beautiful, amazing thing. The fifth of the Ten Commandments calls children to give honor to their father and mother by treating them with respect and obedience. When the kids were little, we'd try to pull that card. Now, now, you got to respect your, your parents, you know. And, and I, one of them would always say, yeah, but you're not supposed to tick them off either. I forget how the, 
the verse goes. But the point being that in that first commandment, in those early uh, teachings given to Moses, this simple command is emphasized and often repeated in the Bible. And it applies to grown children as well. We are to treat our parents with respect and obedience. That's the ultimate goal. That's God's plan for us. Now, I know some of us have very poor relationships with our parents. I've known some people who, frankly, uh, don't know their parents. Or if they found their parents, they'd probably want to beat them up or let them have it. And it makes it very difficult to honor your father and mother. But that is the the perfect plan of God. That's what God intends within the family. Proverbs says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Children, obey your parents for no other reason than it pleases the Lord. It pleases Him when we do that. God calls His followers, all of us, to faithful service. Joshua. Uh, There's a story in the Bible of Joshua. You've probably heard of Joshua. Joshua defined uh, in no uncertain terms what he and his family would champion, what that they were all about. He wanted to serve God sincerely and wholeheartedly with undivided devotion. In the book of Joshua, in chapter 24, Joshua states this, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, okay, if you, if you, you don't want to serve God, that's fine. Then choose today whom you'll serve. Who are you going to serve? We all serve somebody. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? You want those guys? How did things turn out for them? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? You, you want to take up those guys? But I'm telling you, for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Isn't that great? Look, fine, if you don't want to serve God, if you don't want God to be at the center of your family, then then pick. Who is it that you want to serve? What idol do you want to serve? Your job? Your money? Your whatever? Your political ideas? What do you want to serve? You can't serve both God and an idol. Choose this day whom you will serve. But for this day, I'm telling you, we're going to serve the Lord. God's love and mercy lasts forever for those who fear and obey his precepts, his laws. His goodness will flow down through the generations of a family. Psalm Psalm 103 says, But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness, with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant, and remember to obey his precepts. 
Proverbs goes on, the wicked die and disappear, but the family of the godly stands firm. It's amazing how you have a life, uh, a family, that puts God at the center. How from generation to generation, the Lord can keep that, that connection, can keep it going. The Bible gives us instruction within families how husbands and wives are to treat each other. The Bible talks about the virtuous wife. I don't know, we've, in our Sunday school class, we've been talking about, we've been going through the book of, of uh, Proverbs. And I think we have ran across 10 separate times verses about, you know, if you got a nagging wife, it's better to go sleep on the roof or something like that. I was like, what is this? I mean, Solomon must have got nagged constantly. All those wives, they got after him all the time. I don't know. But, but I tell you what, if you have a virtuous wife, gentlemen, a woman of strength and character, that's like putting a crown on your head. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. Yikes. Whew. The Bible doesn't pull any punches when it comes to that. But husbands, you know, husbands love to point out, uh, you know, wives, you're supposed to be submissive. It says so right there. Wives, be submissive. You got to do what I say. Yeah, but they always stop there. They don't read the next couple verses, which is husbands, you're supposed to love your wives like Christ loved the church. You realize Christ laid down his life for the church? That, that he created that beautiful thing, that the church is a metaphor for the bride of Christ? A beautiful thing. Are we willing to give all, gentlemen, for the benefit of your wife? I don't think that doesn't mean we just give, 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 and and but it but it does mean that we love and we cherish them. We have to love them like Christ loved the church, like Christ forgives us. So should we forgive our family. Family relationships are vital because they're a pattern for how we live and relate within the family of God, the church. When we receive God's spirit at salvation, when you make the decision, you know what, I don't understand all this church stuff, but I want a relationship with Jesus. When you make that decision, God makes you a full son or daughter by adopting you into his spiritual family. The Bible speaks of this in many places. We're given the same rights as children born into that family. And God did that through, through Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 13 says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. What a beautiful thing. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is a word means Papa. Daddy. 
You see, the family is a special creation by God. That's why Christians, we as a church, we want to do what we can to treat the family as something special. It is something divinely ordained. You know, our society, and you hear kids talk about it, I mean, it's all about the hookup. It's a hookup culture. You may be wondering, what, what, what's a hookup? What's he talking about? Well, you know, you just go match up and go have a fling and do your thing. And, and uh, I watch TV. I don't watch these shows, but I flip through them, and I see all these commercials and ads for, like, the Bachelors and, uh, what is it, Love Island and some of these other shows where you got to match up these people and they double-cross one another and you get it. it Sort of makes a farce out of a, of a godly relationship. You know, since our world has, seems to have turned away from God, it's no wonder that we glorify, you know, this perversion of one of God's holy, what I believe to be an ordinance. It's interesting, the church of God only seems to recognize two ordinances. An ordinance is like a divine law or an instruction given by God. You, you need to do these things. One is baptism, and the other was, is communion. But I think marriage, in many ways, is an ordinance. I think it is something unique and special that God creates. Now, you don't all have to get married. If you're not married and you enjoy being single, that's fine. There's no problem with that. Uh-oh. Now the guitars are playing. Anyways, um, but, uh, you know, if you're going to get married, I believe that you need to uh, follow God's idea of what marriage is all about. You see, God's idea of marriage and family is much more than the shallow, emotional, sensually driven idea that we see through culture. Um, in a spiritual sense... Marriage is incredibly important. The beginning of a family is such a beautiful thing. You know, spiritual math is funny. I was never very good at math in high school. Um, thankfully, I've got a family full of engineers. They, they can do all the math for me and, and stuff. But uh, spiritual math as applied to marriage doesn't make any sense. One plus one equals... One. One plus one equals one. That's what it means back in Genesis, to become one flesh. There are no longer two entities, two separate individuals. There's no longer this person and that person. They have joined together. They are one now. A new entity, a married couple, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, financially, sexually, in every way possible, this couple is to become one. Each partner is part of the other. Scripture tells us we're not to consider our very bodies as our own, but belonging to their partner. Our focus is to be on our spouse. So families are a beautiful thing, 
a wonderful thing. And I, to me, the strength of a church is reflected by the strength of the families. You know, I could recite awful statistics concerning divorce rates, abuse, poverty, stress. But I think we all know that marriage, marriage isn't easy. Nowhere did the Bible ever say, oh, when you get married, it's going to be so good all the time, and, and you're never going to fight, and there's never going to be any problems ever again. Well, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works when you become a Christian either. Many find that family is not the safe haven that God intended. For some of us, your family has been pure hell. God has not forgotten you. He sees you. He sees what you're involved in. He sees your circumstance, your situation. God has not forgotten you. He sees you, and he cares for you. You know, getting married in some ways is a great risk. You're putting yourself out there. I don't know if I can trust this other person. I think I do. But then you get married and you find out how, wow, I, I didn't know this person at all. But that's part of the adventure. You know, why bother getting married if, if, if so many marriages end up in divorce? I think last year it was 45, 45% of all American marriages ended in divorce. That's about 750,000 people. That's a lot of people. Nobody gets married to get divorced. Gee, honey, let's have a divorce. Well, we've got to get married first. Okay, you know, that's not how it's supposed to go. And for many, it, the, the, the risk is not worth it. I'm not going to get married. I'm not, you know, I don't want to chance it. It's just too risky. Of starting a family, maintaining a family, following God's law and the way that he did it, and adopting this idea that one plus one equals one. Why maintain a family? There are so many benefits of being in the family. A committed union of a man and a wife with children offers stability to each other and to those kids. Statistically, married men are less likely to die early. Probably because the wife saves us from blowing ourselves up or doing something stupid or whatever. But it's nice having that accountability partner for life. Think of the emotional benefits of being married. There really are people who fall in love and have a lifetime of love. Think of the biblical benefits, marriage and family fueled by mutual love and respect. In Ecclesiastes, it said that two are better than one. You know, now would be a great time to take stock of your family. That's my whole intention this morning. Think about your family. Where are you at right now? What can you do to be the one to help your family grow? What can you do to help another family? Raising a family is very difficult. 
very difficult. I had a friend. I won't tell you who it was. You all know him very well. He, he was like, I'm never going to spank my children. Never going to spank them. We were just not going to do that. I said, okay. Well, three or four years go by, and he come to church one day all beat up, haggard. I said, what's the matter? He goes, man, I just had it out with the kids this morning. I said, well, what happened? Well, the one did this. He said, I grabbed the one. I launched him into the bunk bed, and the other one I grabbed, and he swung like a pendulum, you know, and it just he was just beside himself. And I'm saying, yeah, it's not easy raising kids, is it? It's tough. It's not easy, but it's so worth it. The Bible tells us many times the benefits of a godly marriage and family, and many times it tells us of the awful consequences and pain caused by insolent parents or children. So what can we do today to start the new year off right? Well, I want to encourage you to pray four things for your family. I don't, I don't care where you're at, whether you're in a good situation, it's a bad situation, I mean... Wherever you find yourself, I want you to pray. And I want you to pray specifically, strategically, not just, dear Lord, I pray for my family, and I'll be safe today, and have a good day. And, you know, I mean, no, speak specifically. Number one, pray that those in your family have a heart for God. Pray that those in your family have a heart for God. Pray that their relationship with God is most important. Um, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Pray for unity. Pray for unity in your family. Lord, we have our disagreements. We have our issues, we have our problems, but above all that, Lord, help us to be one. Help us to hang in there together as one, to support one another, to have each other's back. Three, pray to fulfill God's purpose for my family. Just as each of you were created by God with a purpose, your families have a purpose What is your family's purpose? And finally, pray that we would have a heart to serve other people. That those in your family would want to serve others. To help others. To just, to be kind for no other reason than to do that. I started off this morning telling you about a family that was for all intents and purposes. They were a great family. They loved each other. They supported each other. Dad was always there for the kids growing up. He had a successful career. He was able to serve his family. He obviously loved his family very much, and they loved him. But as we all must eventually do, Dad passed away and left his family behind. All they have is the legacy of a life well-lived. But without God, you know, the sum of the man's life, it's, to me, it's like an empty shell. It, for the non-believer, that's all they have left of their family. I feel bad. 
But for the believer, your family extends, I believe, into eternity. You think your family's big now. Wait until God creates his kingdom and we're together. Think of all the uh, people you've never met that are part of your family. I mean, here we go. Maybe that won't be such a good thing. I don't know. I, I've seen some of the characters in my uh, family history. I've gone back through the genealogy. For whatever reason, my mom's side, a whole bunch of them were caretakers. I don't know what that says about them, but they all wanted to work in the mortuary business. My dad's side, they're all farmers. I don't know. We all get together. That's going to be an interesting, uh, I don't know. As an elder of the church, sometimes pastor, I'm proud to see the families of this church working hard to become families that choose to serve God. I'm proud to see our family striving to love each other and to maintain a family unity. I'm proud to see our families here at North Hill serving the Lord together and bringing about his will within the life of our church and with each other. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the families of this church. For those who have chosen to come here and to raise their children here, that together we can spur each other on to a life that's pleasing to you. God, I pray for the families. I pray for unity within each family. I pray that if there's pain, you would heal that. That if there's disunion, you would bring families together. God, I just pray for this church, that our strength would continue to be found in the lives of our families. God, we love you today, and we're so thankful for this holiday season and the new year to come. Father, we love you in the name of Jesus. Amen.